Time to Travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting to George Argaropoulos, MD of Cruises International, about a number of great incentives they're offering so you can enjoy this holiday option even with our poor exchange rate. Judith Barnes is Cape Point's marketing manager, and she'll be joining us to talk about the Two Oceans restaurant at Cape Point, which has recently been inducted into the TripAdvisor Hall of Fame. And then, of course, Graham Howell will be back with us again this week, and he'll be continuing to tell us about his trip to Ireland. And this week, he's taking us off to visit the Grand Homes of Ireland. There's a list of available documents for time to travel. You can find them on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message there. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. And you can also contact me on travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Cruising is one of the fastest growing segments of the worldwide tourism market. The industry continues to invest in new ships, while the range of destinations, themed cruises and innovative onboard options is expanding exponentially and cruise lines are offering a number of great incentives for South African travellers, even with our poor exchange rate. Well, to tell us more, I'm joined this evening by George Argaropoulos, MD of Cruises International. George, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me. Right, so tell us how we can afford these fabulous cruises, because when people think about cruising, we always think it's more of the high-end market, that we really couldn't afford that, and with our poor exchange rate, we definitely couldn't afford it. But you're saying that's not the case? It's absolutely not the case, but it is a very usual misconception that most people have, that um, cruising is very expensive and out of the reach of most people. But you can go on a on a on a four star or five star uh, cruise ship for about twelve hundred rand per person per day, and that will include all your meals, your entertainment, your accommodation, your activities, and of course the transportation by the ship. So it is a very good value for money proposition. I mean, actually, I cannot think of any other type of holiday on land, overseas, let's say in Europe or in the States or in Asia, that you would be able to do all that. Or less money. Well, especially if you if you factor in all the entertainment and the food and all of that, the only thing I think you end up paying for possibly are your excursions off the ship when you go on land, those excursions possibly, and also any drinks that you have. So those are things that you can control and you can decide what you want to spend on those. So that's really the only thing you're going to be paying for over and above your, you know, the set price. Yeah, very right. Of course, we offer drinks packages, various kind of um, options with different types of, of drinks and alcoholic beverages. So, again, you can budget for that and pay it up front. And until very recently, we were running a specials where we were including the drinks too. So, uh, again, it's a very good uh, value proposition. And the excursions on the ship, you don't have to purchase the excursions. You can, once the ship docks, you can go ashore and wander on your own or follow one of the, you know, the guides that you can buy or... You can do the hop-on, hop-off bus in most cities. So, again, it's not a major expense that people think it might be. And just looking at what is available on the ships as well, I mean, you talk about the activities on board. I mean, sometimes I wonder if people even have time to get off when you, get, when you dock in any of these ports because there is so much to do on board. Yeah, you're right. And um, if you look at a lot of itineraries offered by the bigger ships, uh, they're always quite a few days at sea in between the various ports. 
firstly to give you a chance to rest a bit from all the running around at the various uh, excursions, but also to enjoy the ship because the ships have become destinations of their own with all the alternative restaurants. I mean, we have basketball courses, we have zip lines, we have uh, floor riders where you can do surfing. We have even we have a, 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 a skydiving simulator on board one or two of our ships. So activities on board are endless, and then coming in the evening with the shows. We have shows like uh, Mamma Mia and uh, Saturday Night Fever and Chicago on board the ship. And again, if you think what the ticket would cost you in London or in New York to go and see one of the shows, basically one day's cruising is just absorbed by the saving on going to see one of the shows. It's it's just unbelievable. But besides all of that, there are also themed cruises. So if you're looking for something very specific, if you're looking for something that sort of really is is your passion or your interest, you even have those. Yes, we have, of course, a lot of uh, food and wine cruises. We have boardroom dancing cruises, uh, Hollywood and movies. We have jazz and big band. Uh, we have wellness. We you know put a lot of emphasis on yoga and tai chi and uh, healthy food and. Uh, so any any specific uh, interest that you have, uh, you might very well be offering a cruise that specializes in that. The other thing as well that that's I don't know whether people are always that aware of it though, um, George, is the fact that it's when you say cruising, it's not necessarily on the ocean. You also do quite a range of river cruises, which are becoming very popular now. Yes, it's actually quite funny to think that you could be in the middle of a continent and with surrounded by land, and you can still be on a ship. Um, especially in Europe now, they've joined various rivers together through canals, so you can start in Amsterdam and finish in the Black Sea and go through the whole, the heart of Europe on a ship. For me, it's a much better option than, let's say, doing it by bus, because you have your room following you, it's not as regimented, and of course, it's much more fun to be on deck looking at the beautiful surroundings rather than being seated in a, in a bus chair for a week or 10 days, so it offers a lot more flexibility and enjoyment. And another thing that uh, the river cruises offer is that uh, most of the excursions are included in the price. Mm. Now, one of my regular one of my regular guests on the show, Kerry Harvey, who is a travel journalist, has I think done one of your cruises in Vietnam, and I think she raved about that, saying that you know if, she loved the fact that her 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 room, her, her in inverted commas, hotel room was sort of following her along down the river. She didn't have to go and book into a hotel; she could pop off and go and explore and come back. And she just loved that. She said it was absolutely fabulous. Yes, you see, that is one of the benefits that both sea cruising and river cruising offers, that, uh, as you say, you unpack once, and then uh, your room in your hotel just uh, takes you to places and follows you, so you don't have to waste all that valuable holiday time that you paid so dearly for, packing and unpacking and changing hotels and going from one airport to the next and wasting time in queues and security and all that. Now, the thing, so you maximize your holiday time for every land that you invest. Now, Cruises International represents nine of the world's top cruise lines here in South Africa. So you, you can have quite a choice. Yes, exactly, because the market has grown so significantly over the last uh, 10 years or so that uh, people are now you know, looking for more niche experiences and different types of experiences. So we have from you know, the big family-oriented, excellent value for money ships, all the way up to the very exclusive uh, small 
yachts, uh, which are truly full inclusive experiences. And of course, we have one crew member for every guest, and you know you have an ultra luxury experience. And of course, river cruising and sailing cruising and different kind of uh, lifestyle options that we offer. Now, George, on the website, cruises.co.za, all of this information is there and people can decide what they want to do and can basically decide how much they want to spend and where they want to go and what they want to do when they get there. Yes, it's a good source of information, but we always prefer that uh, people call us so that, uh, you know, we can really discuss, uh, you know, what uh, their aspirations and what their lifestyle expectations are and their budget and then guide them through uh, the various options because, you know, there's a lot of information on our site and sometimes it becomes quite daunting to understand what could possibly be the best option for you. What is the best time for South Africans to go cruising? I, I'm assuming that there's something or any time of the year they could find somewhere to go. Well, the ships, uh, you know, always follow the good weather and the sun, so, you know, we cover the, the globe uh, practically throughout the year. So um, anytime that anybody can travel for any reason, uh, there will be the right ship to take them to the right place at the right time. But of course, you know, if you're limited by um, the school holidays, if you're a family, then of course July, August, and then again December, or if there's a mid-term break, uh, you could go on a cruise. Are there any special deals people can look out for when it comes to children traveling with their parents? Oh, yeah. We have a number of sailings. Now, coming in December, uh, we have a ship in Dubai. Uh, and over the Christmas and New Year period or the December-January holidays, we include the, uh, well, we offer the children for free. Uh, we also have other specials where the first person pays the, the normal price and then the second person pays only half the price. So, uh, you know, we have so many very, very, very good offers uh, available at the moment. That's was always best to speak to our consultants and then we'll help you make the right choice and give you the best uh, possible price. Actually, we're selling more cruises this year than we did last year. So mm-hmm. even though the run has deteriorated over the last couple of years, you know, the cruises or demand for cruising is going up. I was looking at some information that said that the numbers that they were expecting for last year, passengers cruising, was 21.7 million people. That's a lot of people. Oh, yeah, it's become a, a massive industry. And as you very correctly said at the beginning, uh, it's the fastest growing segment in the travel industry exactly because of the convenience, the value, the security, and the fun that you, that you have, plus that you explore many destinations. So this, even though we have a Iran that's not looking too healthy against international currencies, this is still something that we could afford. There's so many special deals and options and children are traveling for free at certain times. So, you know, it's, it's starting to look more and more like an affordable holiday. It is a very affordable holiday. I mean, we can still settle a fly and cruise package. Let's say you fly to Europe and you do a Mediterranean cruise in the region of twenty to 25,000 Rand per person for a week. So, you know, it's, it's compared very favorably with a lot of uh, well, short uh, regional holiday that we have available. Well, you, that it offers much more included in the price than other holidays do. If you compare that to, to spending a week in Europe or in the States, um, I don't think you'd get that same value for money. Exactly. I mean, if you think what a hotel would cost you, plus yes. transfers here and there, plus your meals, 
you might as well just be on a ship and relax and enjoy everything that is included in the price. Starting to sound like an absolute plan, that is, George, absolutely. But I have to thank you very much for joining me on the show. And hopefully people have had their eyes open that cruising is not that high-end, out-of-reach destination or, or way to travel. It's something we can afford. It's, it's possibly looking a lot cheaper than spending a week just going to Europe or the States. So exactly. thank you so much. You're welcome, Karen. Thank, thank you, you very much for your time this evening. Good night to you. George Agaropoulos is MD of Cruises International. For more information, you can take a look at the website. It's www.cruises, plural, cruises.co.za, or you can call them on 011-327-0327, 327 Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, the Two Oceans restaurant at Cape Point, which features one of the most spectacular views in the world, has been inducted into the TripAdvisor Hall of Fame after winning a Certificate of Excellence for the fifth year in a row. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Judith Barnes, Cape Point's Marketing Manager. Judith, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And first of all, congratulations. Thank you very much. Wonderful achievement. Gosh. Yes, something we're very proud of. The, the restaurant has done exceptionally well, and we, we definitely congratulate them in their efforts to, to achieve this. What exactly is this award? What does it entail, and, and how does it actually work, the whole thing, the whole process? Well, there's obviously the TripAdvisor Certificate of Excellence, which outstanding establishments in the tourism sector receive, and it's all based on visitor reviews. Because it's generated by visitors themselves, it's really word of mouth of the 21st century. Um, and when, when uh, an establishment, whether it's a restaurant, an attraction, or an accommodation provider, receive constant great reviews, they receive the Certificate of Excellence. And once you've received the Certificate of Excellence five years running, you're included in the, in the Hall of Excellence. Gosh, well, what does this actually mean for Cape Point now and for the restaurant, having received something like this? Well, it's a really outstanding accolade because our visitors are not just Catonians or even South Africans. It's on a global scale, which means that you compare to attractions worldwide. Our visitors have seen the Eiffel Tower or Disneyland or, you know, some really international outstanding attractions. And therefore, they compare us to these. So when you get these constant great reviews, it means that you... In, in a league, on an international league of outstanding quality. And that says a lot to us. It's something that we're very proud of to be able to put in that category and, and show that we have the same quality of service to them. Now, it's actually a really good time this year to have received something like this, in my view, anyway, because you had quite a dramatic start to the year with those dreadful fires we've had here. That's right, yes. The fires are devastating, and unfortunately the pilot who also yes, um, lost his life. You know, crashed mm. there, unfortunately, and, and lost his life. So it's quite a dramatic time for everyone involved, especially Sandbox, who was so very involved in the fires from, you know, not only at Cape Point, but the whole of the Cape, all the fires, yeah. it was all on, on their land. So it was quite a dramatic start to the year, but, um, yeah, so this has definitely lit up the year substantially. Gosh, yes, it really, it really was, as I said, a really good time for you to have received something like that. Now, Cape Point, I'm sure everybody knows Cape Point, and I'm sure most of us have been down there at some point or the other, but now here comes winter, and people think, oh, it's not really the best time to go, but you have all sorts of specials going on down there over the winter period. That's right. During the winter period specifically, we try to focus on the children. We know that it's more the, lo- the, the local time to come and experience Cape Point. 
So we focus all of our specials around the children when, when they come with their parents or an adult. They, um, each child can ride for free with an accommodating adult. And they can also eat for free at the Two Oceans restaurant. So for each adult, a child can get a meal for free. Making it just a little bit more affordable, but also something, you know, make them feel a bit special. We've got our, our children's activity booklet, which is also, which they will receive, which tells them facts and stories about Cape Point. And, um, yeah, just encouraging people to come and experience it. Just because it's winter doesn't mean, you know, it stops. Come and experience the Cape of Storms, that like, like the, the sailors of those times experienced it. And even we have beautiful days in, in winter, um, especially our international markets would would in, agree with us where we as Catonians often say winter, it's cold, it's raining. It's not the same, seen as the same on international levels. It's still beautiful days in comparison to what other countries experience winter as. Now you mentioned children ride for free. Am I assuming that's in the funicular? Yes, sorry, I should have um, <laughs> been more specific. Yes, I was talking about the Flying Dutchman funicular. Okay, and that goes right up to the point. Yes, so it goes from there, the lower um, station up to the top station, which takes you to the old lighthouse and the viewpoints over the new lighthouse. Now, Cape Point, people sort of pitch up there, they go to the restaurant, they go on the funicular, but there are also some lesser-known spots and attractions in Cape Point that maybe people don't know about. Yes, yeah, so the park is, has so much to offer. There are obviously the, the two picnic spots um, that's quite known, well known to locals, Borkies Jeff and Biffelsfontein. Um, so Biffles Bay and Biffelsfontein has a visitor center which has a bit of an interpretation area which tells you about the fauna and flora and even marine life that you get around Cape Point. And where you can, at the two picnic spots you can have a bit of a braai. There are tidal pools which is a little bit cold at this time of year mm-hmm. but there's still the brave hearts out there who... Um, would go for a bit of a swim. Then there's also the Cape of Good Hope to to visit, and then there's the two beacons, the Diaz Beacon and the Da Gama Beacon. And then there's various lookout points that people often overlook. They they drive through the park, they get to the point, and they have the lunch, and like you said, catch the funicular. But there are other lookout points to stop to stop at and, and just observe and take in the surroundings, have a look at the wildlife, the fauna, the flora, the bird life especially coming into spring again when the, the, the flowers really come to life. There's so many colors, so many different kinds, all the different proteas. It's, it's really a special place to be in, just to take some time and observe it all. Is it possible that there's future plans for Cape Point? I mean, anything special coming up in the future? Um, unfortunately, I can't speak too much about that, <laughs> okay. but I would say watch this space. So <laughs> okay. We do have some plans. <laughs> um, so, so, yes, keep an eye out. Um, we, we can't say too much at this stage, but come speak to us if you're interested. And and it's just one of those places that, you know, I think we just, it, it becomes almost, well, oh, yeah, well, Cape Point is over there. We all know it's there. And, you know, we don't sort of make too much of an effort to get there. I think it's almost like living in Cape Town and looking at Table Mountain every day and thinking, well, you know, it's just there. But we need, even if we've been there a long time ago, I mean, things change and things are always different and the nature and the animals and all that sort of thing. It's, it's one of those things we should try. I know for some people it can become quite expensive. Is there any possible way, is, is this linked to the wild card or the green cards or of those cards at all? Yes, it absolutely is because it's a sand parks land at the end of the day. It's run by Table Mountain National Park, which forms part of sand parks. There are different offerings. There's a uh, um, wild card for those who visit many of the sand parks, parklands. 
um, where you pay your annual fee and you can get up access to all their, all their parks countrywide, which is really great value for money. I think for a family of five people, it works out about 700 rand a year. But considering it gives you unlimited access to all their parks, it's outstanding value. Then there's also the, the Cape Town My Green Card, which is focusing on Cape Townians. So it's 110 rand, which gives you 12 entries into any of the Table Mountain National Park entry points or pay points, which includes Cape Point, Boulders Beach, Silver Mine, Takai. I realize that some of those are still closed due to the mm, fire when they're open. Closed, yeah. um, yes, and you can use them for 12 entries. So you can take you and your family and your friends. Um, they have to be South African citizens and, and have proof of thereof, so they are the book. Um, children obviously can get in with their parents, but it works out to under 10 rand an entry, which is outstanding value for our locals. So there are ways of going, or, you know, and as I said, the prices might put some people off, but if you if you work it out, there are ways of getting in at a much reduced rate. Absolutely, and then there's also always Sandparks Week, which comes up in September. Um, I don't think they've released their dates yet, but it's usually around the first or second week of September where all South African citizens can get in for free in South African parks. So just keep an eye out for those and, and come and experience it. So I think once once our locals have experienced it, they will want to come again and, and spend some more time and see more things. And the opening hours of Cape Point and the restaurant, Judith? Yes, so the gate opening times varies on the season. We've got a summer summer open times and, and winter open times, and it usually works quite in line with the sunrise and sunset, much like all other sun park facilities. But in, around winter time, you can gauge in around 7 a.m. That, that the gates open, and they close around 6 p.m. again. In, winter t- in summer times, it's 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., um, but the facilities, including the finicula and the restaurant, opens at 9 o'clock and closes at 5. So you've got enough time when you're in there? Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm assuming for the Two Oceans restaurant you'd need to book, or can you just arrive? Um, you can take a chance and just arrive. In peak season, obviously, no. <laughs> you, you, you're not likely to get a seat quite easily unless there was a cancellation. But at the moment, during the slightly slower months, you're quite easy to get a spot. Well, round, round about now. So if you want to pop along this weekend, if you're in Cape Town, take a yes, chance. Yes, absolutely. Great take time cha- to go. Absolutely. And there is a website you can go and have a look at. All the contact details are on there for the Two Oceans restaurant. And also, I'll give you the website for Cape Point as well. Judith, is there anything else we should know about coming up to Cape Point? Or we told them everything now? I think I've, I've gone through everything. Um, obviously, we, we're always open to... Talk to our visitors, just pop into our office, and if you have any ideas or you just want to chat about what you've seen, um, the rangers are always on site and, and very welcoming and, and willing to discuss any plant, any fauna, any flora, anything about the funicular, the restaurant. You guys are welcome to come talk to us, and, and we, we embrace our visitors. Well, it sounds like definitely the destination of choice. And as we said, you know, you might think it's that expensive, but there are ways of getting in it either for free during Sandparks Week, which is fabulous, or you can take your family up, as Judith says, pretty much for around about 10 rand per person, which is, I don't think you can get into anything else for 10 rand a person, Judith. I think that's <laughs> that's really remarkable. So we'll work out what those uh, green cards or the wild card is going to cost you and uh, make a plan and definitely go and pop in. Judith, thank you so much for joining us on the show this evening and congratulations once again on the award. I think it's a remarkable achievement and uh, good luck for the next one. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Judith, good night. Judith Barnes is Cape Point's marketing manager. And for more information on the Two Oceans restaurant, they have a website. It's www.2-oceans.co.za or the Cape Point website is www.capepoint.co.za. Time to travel with Karen Key. Graham Howe is back with us again this evening, and uh, for the last little while, we've been talking about his trip that he's been doing down the wild Atlantic Way through Ireland. And um, the end of the t- last time that we spoke, he didn't happen to mention before that that he also popped off and visited some grand homes and spent some time in Dublin. And obviously, as Graham, you know, whenever he comes in here, we run out of time. So he's back to tell us about the grand homes of Ireland this evening. Graham, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Karen. It's good to be here. Right. So you're off the wild Atlantic way now yes. and um, now you're heading into Northern Ireland. That's correct. Yes, I uh, spent uh, a few days in uh, Belfast, which is, you know, the British side of Ireland. It's a wonderful gateway and a, a good city to base yourself in to explore some of the really famous tourist attractions in Ireland, um, like Giant's Causeway. They've got their own coastal route called the Causeway Coastal Route, which is also, like the Wild Atlantic Way, one of the most scenic uh, driving routes in uh, Europe. And it covers a whole range of attractions, mostly sort of lovely old castle ruins and whiskey villages like Bushmills, which is the Mm. oldest licensed working distillery in the world going back to 1608, which is open to the public. And of course, the geology of uh, Giant's Causeway, which has made it a UNESCO World Heritage Site and is really unique with, and and you can take your pick in the new visitor centre that they built there, which has been built very organically into the rock uh, because it's right on the coast. And it's this amazing, it's volcanic formation of these hexagonal pillars, uh, which really looks like they've attempted to tile all the way to Scotland, which is only about 20 kilometres across the sea, the Irish Sea, to the Mull of Kintyre and uh, you can actually see Scotland on a clear day and this time unlike New York you really can see Scotland (laughs) Scotland, Um, and uh, I saw it several times while I was there so it's obvious that you would make whiskey in that kind of territory but they they have lovely legends about uh, the giant formation of the Giants Causeway you know you can either buy into the scientific geological one or the one of a giant called Finn McCool who uh, threw down this huge sort of slabs of pavement to get across to Scotland antagonized the Scottish giant his name was Finn McCool and then he fled back to Ireland with this Scottish giant hot on his heels. So he tried to tear up the pavement on the way back, as a result of which it looks like it is today, and like an unfinished I pavement. I prefer that story. Yeah. And when he got back, he fled into his, his hut where he lived with his mom, of course, this giant. And he said, quickly, quickly, he said, I dress me up as a baby and I'm going to get into this crib over here. And when the Scottish giant comes in looking for me to eat me kind of thing, tell him that... Finn's out, but his baby's here, me. So of course, the Scottish giant comes in and sees Finn all lying up there in, his, in a giant nappy and thinks, gee, if the sun's this big, <laughs> imagine, and he flees back to Scotland. Anyway, so that's one of the lovely legends mm. that you, you'll hear on the way through to a Giant's Causeway. But now you were in Northern Ireland, but this specific trip now, you went to go and visit some of the grand old homes. Yes, I Ireland. did. Many of them have been recently restored, I mean, in, in multi-million pound projects as part of the National Trust and of, as part of the Palaces of Britain as well. So we visited, I think, some six of these grand, and we're, we're talking, you 
you know, country homes with enormous estates attached, a landscaped pleasure gardens. Many of them go back 400 years to the Protestant plantations of Ireland by the British Crown in an attempt to settle and assimilate into Ireland. So they're a combination of sort of, and, and just sort of think Downton Abbey of these mm. gorgeous Gothic and Georgian and Victorian and Italian Palladian mansions with incredible gardens. In those days, apparently, the thing to do, you do a grand European tour, much like we would do today, mm. I suppose, much like a gap year, but the aristocrats would go on a, obviously, you know, in those days, they'd have to go and, and take years doing this tour. And they'd collect seeds and plants wherever they went. And when they got back, they'd create these enormous pleasure gardens, um, which would remind them of their travels wherever they'd been. And so we visited some of the homes and, and you know, they'd be growing pineapples in Ireland, for goodness <laughs> sake, in a Victorian greenhouse to serve their guests mm. or avocados. Uh, and in fact, there was a whole South African section in one of the gardens. So someone had obviously traveled probably in the late 1800s to South Africa and come back and then planted proteas and fainbos. Wow. And, and of course, you know, it's, it's lovely to do a walking tour. We were there in Ireland in spring. Um, so, you know, just about everything was, was flowering there. Which was the first house you went to? Well, the first house was actually, and, and it could get confusing at this point, because many of the country houses are called castles, and oh. many of the castles seem to be called, you know, parks or houses. But the first we visited, because it was a, a, a tour of castle ruins as well, was a landmark a castle called Carrickfergus, which is uh, about 30 minutes outside of Belfast, um, and on the entrance to the uh, Belfast Loch, this, this huge uh, waterway that um, Belfast lies on. And it's a medieval castle, and it marks the point where the Protestant King William of Orange landed in June 1690 in Ireland on the way to do battle at the Battle of the Boyne with the forces of the Catholic King James. So a lot of Ireland's sort of history and divisions stem from this point. And built by John de Courcy, um, who, who apparently built castles all over Ireland, and as our guide said, she said, because some of them are really tiny castles, and we were starting to get confused by the difference yes. between a country home and a castle. She said, look, these aren't wow castles like you would see these giant castles in Europe, but we were pretty impressed by them nonetheless. Um, and everyone in history has besieged Carrick Fergus. Carrick means the rock. And Fergus is, was King Fergus at the time, so it's the Rock of Fergus. You can do a tour of the castle, and in fact, what's quite fun to do, and some of our party did, is you can dress up as a sort of, as, as a fair maiden, oh, um, and as a knight, complete with shield and, and costume, and sort of do battle. And the castle was built in 1242, and... Apparently it was besieged so often they used to run out of food and had to eat the castle dogs. Oh, no. And when excavating the grounds, they came across all these sort of chewed bones and wondered, you know, what, what they were and identified them as the dogs. So that's a bit of a sad story. Um, and Carrickfergus, the town, which is set right on the coast on a promontory, where, which is why it was, it was besieged by the uh, Normans and uh, is uh, very popular as the home of the parents of Andrew Jackson, the sixth president, the American president. of America. Okay. Um, so there's a museum based in a replica of his home in, in Carrickfergus. Well, so that, that was the castle now. That, yes. that you, now, what, I asked you initially what was the first country house, which I got obviously confused because that wasn't a house, that was now a, a castle. castle. Yes. So was there actually a country What was your first country <laughs> house? I'm well, getting very confused with houses and castles and yes. parks and if and you're things. not an archaeologist, and, and it is a typically Irish set of affairs, you know. Oh, is it? Okay. Yes. So, um, well, we actually came next uh, on the way to Giant's Causeway, on the causal route, is Glen Arm Castle, which yes. is an actually actual... a grand country house. You see now. <laughs> so it's confusing. I'm very it's confused. 
castle and it's set on a private estate with amazing walled gardens and it's the the oldest village in the glens which means actually the valleys of Ant Antrim because we're traveling in, in one of the I think six or seven counties in the north now this is County Antrim and it's been the ancestral seat of the Macdonald family for over 400 years and it's still home to the 15th Earl of Antrim who lives there today now we went around with a very amusing guide, Adrian Morrow, is a caretaker who took us on a tour. And he's worked there for 35 years and his father as a chauffeur before him for 45 years. So between father and son, they're about to celebrate their 90th year. Wow. I think his dad's gone now, but working on, on this. And it's a 17th century ornamental garden. And, I mean, picture sort of um, these lovely old medieval walls and then a completely one-dimensional apple tree. The trees are grown flat up against Good the heavens. walls. And the walls, A, give them, they, they absorb the sun during the day. So in a cold climate, fruit trees would still fruit and flower. In fact, these apple trees were flowering while we were there. And these apple trees, are, you know, go back to the 19th century. But they're completely one-dimensional because they're pruned flat against That's the wall bizarre. to protect them against mm. the wind. And apparently it's typical of an ornamental or walled garden that this is the way they would grow their fruit. And they've just restored these gardens at a cost of two and a half million pounds. And every spring they plant 10,000 tulip bulbs every year. And wow. you'd think you were in Holland. Holland I mean, every bed and just walking around these gardens uh, was, was flowering. And then they have a huge outdoor concert series. And they have uh, tulips, uh, the all, all a tulip festival. Now, these are actual, lovely. actual houses and castles and things. So are they yes. being lived in by the family? Yes, they, they apparently live there three or four months of the year. Oh, it's okay. still open to the public. Apparently, this particular house, the uh, the, the Earl of Antrim, they're, they're, and in fact, many of these we went to, the owners seem completely eccentric. And I mean, I'm being <laughs> light here, um, you know, whimsical. For example, their motto emblazoned on the front of this grand stone um, entrance said, tout jours prêt, which means always ready. And our guide roared with laughter. He said they were never ready for anything, the Earls of Antrim. He said it couldn't be further from the truth. He showed us they've got this amazing collection of, of William Stubbs paintings of mm. horses. He said it, whenever they took their horses out to races, everyone used to laugh at them. Apparently, you know, they were known as that. In fact, the Earl uh, in the 1800s gambled his entire 250,000 hectares away. I mean, it was sort of a big chunk of Northern Ireland. And his the tenant farmers who lived on it wanted their land back as, as Irish nationalists. And he would sit and play poker with them as long as they brought a bottle of whiskey. And apparently some 250 bottles of whiskey later, the ill the was in serious trouble, used to gamble and, and lose every, every oh round of goodness. poker. And he was left with, say, t say you know, t several hundred hectares. And we loved the, uh, he's got a chest from the Spanish Armada, the entrance to, because a lot of the ships of the Spanish mm. Armada founded off the coast of uh, Ireland and apparently were looted by the uh, the locals who now proudly sort of show you yeah. all the objects that, <laughs> and say, look, you know, we were given this for our bravery in assisting them. But meanwhile, yeah, yeah. normally, as the minute the ship went down, they went off and looted it and brought whatever they could back. I don't know whether I'd like to live in my house and have people traipsing in and out there all the time. Yes, well, you can only go there when when they're living in when they're in London, you know. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, many of these, I, I guess, sit in the House of Lords and are, mm. you know, are entitled. Now, you obviously, we're inside this house now. Did you? Yes. I mean, did you have tea there, or did you just wander about? I mean, butlers we, on, well, on we did, tap. We did wander around and look at these amazing frescoes and and, and art objects. George Lynn, the Earl's official butler, served us tea oh, so the, oh, down okay. in the kitchen. So they're still 
still on duty. Oh, they're still In fact, there. he seemed okay. quite delightful to serve someone tea. Yeah. So we had this grand silver service and tea halfway oh, nice. through the tour in a real Downton Abbey kitchen. Again. Oh, lovely. In one of the lounges, in fact, we saw a wake table, and I asked you, that's an odd-looking table, and he said, well, whenever anyone died in the house, they would actually lay them out on this table with all the scones and cakes and teas around mm, them. Very appetizing. The corpse would be dressed in, in, in the finest suit, you know, in his best wear, and then the mourners would walk around commenting on how good, what a good-looking corpse and how well he was looking. <laughs> and apparently the term wake, which is an Irish way mm. of, of commemorating and celebrating someone's life, uh, which would go on for days, you know, was to make sure that the, the corpse wasn't going to wake up because in those days there was, you know, there was, there was a condition that had been reported that, that people, you know, were in a coma and they weren't really dead and it wasn't as scientific as we are today. So they would make sure that the corpse, you know, the, the body really was dead and not going to wake up. According to Adrian, one of the uh, burials they'd been to, someone from, the, from, from this, this grand house of Glenarm had said he wanted to be buried standing up at the top of the hill looking out to sea so he could enjoy the views. But apparently after two days of a very drunken wake, the cart drawing the coffin um, <laughs> spilt the coffin out uh, uh, on the way up the hill. And, and, and the body tumbled out and they put it all back together but they didn't realise they put the body back in the wrong way and the coffin the wrong way so that he was buried head first with his and feet <laughs> looking out to sea and they only realised that later that night so apparently he's been staring at the middle of the centre of the earth ever since oh, shame. with his feet stuck up in the air but it's one of the very funny stories that um, we heard while oh, touring um, Glen Arm Castle and it's really worth going there for the gardens and because it's one of the nice tourist mm. attractions when you're driving up it's nice to take a break on the way to Giant's Causeway. Now, it wasn't there, but somewhere close by, I think, there's a plaque marking the home of Paddy, the fastest pigeon in Ireland. Yes, uh, Tell only, me about look, this. Only, only, an, Island. only an Island car. There's a Georgian village. It's a beautiful village. In fact, Winston Churchill um, used to visit there, and I think his family ha uh, owned the local um, hotel there. But it's a village of Carnloch on the Causeway coastal route. And while I was nosing around the harbour and asking the fishermen there um, how, the fi how the fishing season was going, and I had a direct interest in this because they were catching lobster and crab, oh, yes. and I wanted to find out you know, what, what I should be eating that night for dinner. And I came across this delightful plaque in the picturesque harbour, and it was new, and it said it was dedicated to Paddy, the fastest pigeon in Ireland. So I thought, well, how did they know that? And in fact, he was one of 30 pigeons, many of which were bred in this village, which during the Second World War were used during the landings at Normandy to carry coded messages across from headquarters in, in, in London, I suppose, across the Channel uh, to France. And Paddy, in 1944, set the record for the fastest crossing ever of just under five hours. And, and for this, he was given a medal called the Dickin Medal, which which is apparently the animal equivalent yes, yeah, of the Victoria of Cross. And he lived for 11 years and is apparently still the only winner of this particular medal um, in, in Ireland. So good for Paddy. Absolutely. But as yeah. you said, only in Ireland. So, I mean, how many of these castles or country houses, I'm not quite sure what to call them anymore, yes. how many of these did you get to see in a day? How long were you actually doing well, this Well, we, we generally do. I, I did this for about four days, I suppose. Okay. So I, I think we did close, between six and eight of these anyway. In total? Um, yes. Yeah. And near Giant's Causeway is the very dramatic Dunluce Castle. I think that was number three that we saw near the village of Bushmills. And that's the whiskey place. And, and this was also the seat, of yes, of the MacDonald clan, who were very big, obviously, in the area. Uh, in the 16th and 17th centuries, and it's very dramatic. 
automatically perched sort of right on a craggy face. And in fact, it's so close to the cliff that apparently while they were serving dinner about 200 years ago, the kitchen and most of the uh, servants working in, in, the, in the kitchen fell into the sea and were never seen of oh, again. Dear. So maybe that's why they ended up eating the dogs. I don't know. Okay. But, um, and you can walk around. Now, these are really ruins, you know, unlike the, the, the fully decorated castles of, uh, for example, Carrickfergus or, or Glen Arm that we went to. The Girona was a Spanish, one of the Spanish Armada fleet that was sunk in the actually, they call it the Bay of Spaniards today in 1588, taking hundreds of sailors to their death. And then the wreck was only salvaged in 1968, 400 wow. years later. And you can go to the Belfast Ulster Museum, which has this amazing collection of priceless gold, silver, and precious stones. And those would be whatever that the... Uh, the, the Earl of Antrim and his crew hadn't managed to salvage. Well, that, that was their gift for helping, you said. Yes, yes I think yeah. so, you know. Yeah. And many of them, the minute they got to the shore, were executed anyway, you know, because <laughs> they, 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 they just simply weren't British, they were Spanish. Oh, dear. Know, and Britain was at war with Spain. Okay. Now, the, the next place you went to, Hillsborough Castle, I wasn't aware that was the British royal family's official residence in, in Ireland. In Northern Ireland, yes. In Northern, I didn't know that. Yes, and it's very historic. Now, Hillsborough Castle is definitely not a castle, even though it's called a castle. What is it I would now? call it Hillsborough Palace. but they It's don't. a palace. And We've got country small, homes, castles, palaces, yeah. parks. This is a palace. And it, it's more of okay. a mansion, in fact, even than a palace. It's small. Okay. It's beautiful. I've given it's up built now. in this golden orange sandstone, and you know, with perfect dimensions. It's just been restored and reopened at enormous cost, and it was built by Wills Hill, the first Marquis of Downshire. Now, I never did get my head around all the different titles there, from the earls oh. to the lords and ladies to the Marquis. I'm trying to cope with the houses um, at this point. Exactly. So I did my best to behave anyway and follow well, protocol. Okay. And it's the former home of the governors of Northern Ireland and the Secretary of State since passing from the original family's hands um, into public ownership in, in, to, to become part of the National Trust in 1922. In fact, the curator, Dr. Wally Lack, who's just taken over there, he told us he was formerly of the Tower of London, and I said, not a prisoner <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in fact he was the curator there and he used to work he said his office was right beneath the crown jewels which must have been pretty tempting yes but he's just overseeing a, a 16 million pound which is which is what i mean it's over 300 million rand a restoration of this property and Interestingly enough, under a giant glass, almost like a sort of cake cup, which I tried to take off, there was a guest book. Apparently, I was told I was under no circumstances to sign this guest book because no. it's only signed by royalty. And in fact, the last person who signed it was Prince Edward. And they have a gallery of pictures there of all the famous visitors who visited Hillsborough Castle, which is about, I would say, about 45 minutes or so south of Belfast. You know, everyone had visited there. George Bush, Clinton's Thatcher, and in fact, the Irish Prime Minister and, and uh, Jerry Adams of Sinn Féin signed the, the Anglo-Irish Treaty in 1985, which brought peace to Ireland. And the 1922 treaty was also signed there okay. with King George. So it's very historic, and it's it's, it's definitely really worth doing um, a, a, a tour with lots of other wonderful features in the town of um, Hillsborough. In fact, the, our guide in Hillsborough, when we stopped in the, in the local square, said, said to us, you know, before TVs, we used to enjoy public hangings in this square. Charming. <laughs> before the introduction of television. Okay. So I gather that was some time ago. Though. I, w I would she hope meant so. in the 1800s, I, would I think. I hope so. Did you have tea? At, I mean, you had tea with a butler at the, at the last place. Glen Arm. Did you have tea with a butler here? Well, it was pretty good, but not a butler. But we did oh, have no. the former curator of the Tower of London pouring well, tea I for us. So it's something. not too bad. No. And we were there a week early, unfortunately. They were practicing the royal gun salute um, for the Queen's birthday the following Tuesday. Oh, okay. We did get to see the throne room. 
But again, I wasn't allowed to sit in it. It was all, you know, sort of. Did you not know who you are? I mean, you not royal court, you know. Did you not say this is your Emily? They said no selfies in the throne, please. Apparently, only the Queen and Queen and Prince Philip were the most recent people to sit in those thrones and to to sign the book. It's set in 98 hectares of gardens, which are open to the public during the summer season. And in fact, they're going to celebrate the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo there in mid 2015. And a portrait of one of his generals, uh, Arthur Hill, hangs in the dining room. King George V signed the treaty of, that established the Irish free, free State here in 1920. So uh, uh, we arrived and left via the Candlestick Hall, which is rather a nice oh. and grand name, okay. I thought. You yes. Know. Toodaloo. <laughs> <laughs> but you should explain, you need to come back and report back to us and the listeners about these things, and they can't just not let you sit in things. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's not acceptable. Yes, actually it looked very worn. And when I said, you know, um, are you going to, during the renovation, replace in the sort of royal brocade and, mm. and the royal emblem, the crown that was on the on these uh, red upholstered chairs was, was quite worn. And they said no, because if you see those marks down the side, that's where the ceremonial swords, you know, used to uh, brush oh, against right, the yes. throne. Mm. And we, we really like it. It's kind of an original patina, so mm. we'd like to keep that, you know. So And maybe if I took a sword next well, time. Well, next fact, time. they probably wouldn't even, I wouldn't even get through security. Well, there's that. Yes. yes, you wouldn't get on the plane to start <clears> with. Right, but now the other interesting thing, which I thought was amazing, was talking about Game of Thrones. You can actually do Game of Thrones tours around here. You somewhere. can, yes. Mm. In fact, because many, much much of Game of Thrones has been filmed on location in some of these grand houses. And in fact, next, also south of Belfast, we visited Castle Ward Estate, which is definitely a grand country house. And they've shot several episodes of Game of Thrones there. It's located at the bottom of Strangford Loch, which is a big sort of lake on the, on the east coast in County Down. And we came across a, a tour group who seemed to be having great fun practicing there with the longbow um, and having a medieval banquet. This Gothic uh, 18th century house, a castle ward, is, is just full of legends and uh, and and, uh, and history. And so we'd and recognize parts of it from, yes, the, from the show. I guess you would, you know. I haven't mm. watched a lot of the, sh- the, the show because I, I don't really ever get to watch a whole series because I travel yeah. so much. Actually, never quite catch up with it. But it's a Gothic 18th century house, and it was built in the 1760s for Lord and Lady Bangor, who were a very odd couple. We actually entered the uh, via the servants' tunnel, and again, Downton Abbey really came to mm-hmm. mind um, because we, we looked at the wine cellar, and the housekeeper had her own room where she used to, you know, sit and darn and knit, and 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 the butler would report to her, etc. And the interior, though, is decorated in two completely different styles. Apparently, they could never agree on anything, and eventually got divorced, a very celebrated divorce in the 1800s. And Lord Bangor loved neoclassical architecture and design and had many, for example, you left and entered the library um, via a false set of books which you opened it up and then there was this narrow corridor so you wouldn't know your way into this amazing sort of leather-bound library Mm. of classical volumes and out again. There was no door because it was hidden perfectly oh, wow. okay. by, by, by a sort of row of books which were actually a false front. And so that was quite exciting too. And then she loved apparently what was known as Strawberry Hill Gothic, which was this um, sort of a very garish fan-vaulted parlour that she had. And in fact, Lord Bango used to call it her sulking room. Oh. <laughs> 
And when uh, John Betjeman, a well-known British um, politician, and, and uh, I think he was a poet too, he wrote when he visited there that it was that sitting in Lady Bangor's room was like sitting under a giant cow's udder. So it's quite controversial, the architecture. And they have a Victorian laundry museum on the property and amazing sunken gardens. In fact, this is where we saw, uh, with a tour of the chief gardener, um, the head gardener, many South African plants. Oh, was it here? Uh, yes. Okay. And this is where they used to grow pineapples and fruits for their guests in the greenhouse. We had a very nice lunch there. Oh, okay. Lunch of sandwiches and soup. But um, and the guide we was that was that a guide that was just there, or did you bring a guide with you? No, no. We, we there were in, there were individual guides and curators of and all each of these, of these houses properties okay. who would meet you. And although we were there on a media tour. Uh, you know, the pub, all of these houses are open to the public and you can mm. book a tour, um, etc. In fact, our guide there quipped, she said, please don't sit on the furniture, the wormwood might have got here before you. Um, because, you know, it's it's really very lavishly yeah. decorated, even the nursery. And while we were down in the kitchen um, of uh, Castle Ward, she told us that the phrase, the upper crust, Mm. meaning the lords and the ladies and, and the la-di-dars, actually was derived from the fact that only the best unburned portions of bread would go upstairs. Uh, everyone else would have to eat the, the sort of more charred from the old bakery ovens down in the kitchen bit. So the, that's, that's really where the upper crust came from. But they weren't that upper crust because apparently the Lord of Bangor only used to bathe he used to take a bath three times a year. Apparently oh my quite goodness. normal in that period. But to, but, but to hide his bad smell, he used to stuff his pockets with sage and thyme. Would um, it not be easy just to have another big, bath? That's why they had a big herb garden, you know. Can you imagine walking around oh. with your pockets stuffed full of herbs? Would it not have just made more sense just to have another bath? Probably, probably. But apparently hardly anyone did in those days. Well, I'm very know. glad I didn't live back then yes. then. Okay, you've spoken a lot about the gardens, and you said it was at this castle ward, I think you said, yes. where the, the South African yes. um, plants were. But then you also went to somewhere called Mount Stewart. Now, what is that now? Is that a castle, a house? It's a grand country house. It's a house. Again, with very famous, very eccentric owners. Okay. Um, and Mount Stewart, which is near the top of Strangford Loch. So all of these houses are within about an hour's radius or less of um, Belfast. So it makes it a great... Um, especially Belfast with all its new attractions, you know, as this, as, mm. and the, the, like the Titanic Museum, yes, which we've yeah. spoken about mm. before. So very easily accessible, and, and Belfast is a good base, especially down in the Titanic Quarter, the waterfront area. We stayed at the Malmaison Hotel, uh, which was set in one of the old warehouses. And, of course, Belfast, all of the wealth that many of these country houses were built on came from Belfast being one of the capitals, uh, it was called Linenopolis, in mm. fact the capital of the Linen Empire in the sort of 1700s and 1800s, um, and also of shipping that they built all of these ships, most of them very successfully, I think the Titanic, they were on a losing streak there, but as they yeah. always say, we didn't build the iceberg. True. But this huge um, eight-story uh, Titanic museum that has opened which is built to the same scale as the Titanic and really looms up over the harbour with all these interactive displays. The locals now call it the iceberg, apparently. Oh, really? Because <laughs> they've, you know, they've got a great sense of humour, I must say. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay. So it's known as the uh, You're off to see the iceberg, are you? But now the, these gardens in Mount Stewart, as I mentioned, that's one of the top ten gardens in the world, apparently. Yes, no, I mean, they are incredible. They're all sort of different sections, um, um, you know, with, with temples and follies and a Moorish sunken garden and an Italianate garden and full of stone sculptures. Uh, there's an garden of allegory. 
um, which all reflects on the sort of classical Greek and, mm. and, and Roman um, legends. And Lady Edith, who at the sort of early 1900s apparently, wife of the seventh Marquess of Londonderry, created these and she had a very playful style. Um, so there are stone sculptures of griffins and hedgehogs and frogs and toads and platy, uh, pl platypus. And there's even a dodo terrace, you know, dedicated to mm. the extinct species. So she was a well-known suffragette and leader of the sort of women's movement okay. in the early 1900s. And so we did this amazing walking tour and uh, with Neil Porteous, who's the head gardener there. Um, and it must be just wonderful to have gardens these sizes and, you Absolutely. know, this sort of budget sure. to keep them uh, going. Um, and it's a, Matt Stewart is, is one of the main attractions in Northern Ireland, in fact, in the whole of, of Ireland. Um, and so we went on a, and all everything was flowering, the rhododendrons, the delphiniums, the lupias and the dahlias. And so that was pretty amazing. Uh, that was one of the real highlights of our tour. And then there were some people that knew who you were, that you had to come back and report back on your visit, and so they invited you for lunch. Yes, in indeed. Finally, you know. Absolutely. We well, actually I mean, got to meet the owners know? of one of these mm. who came out, and it took me a while because they were standing <laughs> against this, you know, huge facade of this sort of, you know, three-storied pile, this, these grandees. And I suddenly realised, um, I shook hands, you know, and I thought, gosh, this very well-dressed tour guide today, and he said, glad to meet you. I'm Lord Dunleith. <laughs> and Lord Lady Dunleith, but apparently they're and ancestors built in, the, in an Italian style this home 170 years ago and it's one of the few country homes still lived in what is which, which is that one and it's called um, Bally Walter oh okay Bally means place of, so I suppose it was the place of someone called Walter, who must have been their, their ancestor. Apparently, Lord Dunleith told me that I wasn't the first. He said, oh, you're, you're not the first South African to visit us here. I think that's why we were walking through their magnificent billiard room that mm. he had, which only gentlemen were allowed in. And there was a, a, a and woman's they you in. in there. And, well, they did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> maybe because of the South African connection. Well, maybe. And he said, um, we had Archbishop Desmond Tutu stayed here several times, oh, once really? for a month. Because in 2002, they opened up Bally Walter as luxury accommodation. And, and in fact, you can have sort of breakfast and lunch and dinner with the, the Lord and, and, and Lady in style okay. in a magnificent dining room, you know. Tutu actually was there, Arch was there, um, to film a series on reconciliation in Northern Ireland called Facing the Truth, which he chaired. And apparently, you know, it's obviously enormously popular. They, they, were, they were very fond of him, said he'd been back to stay since. And I noticed in one room that one of their guests had written them a little letter they'd framed from Jeremy Irons saying what a wonderful stay he and his oh, wife wow. had had okay. there while filming something else. So the, it's also been used as a film location, but mm. not for the Game of Thrones, for a series of Dracula movies, apparently. Afterwards, we talk, took a walk in the Pleasure Gardens, and when Lord Dundee told me his family, actually the Mulhollands, were, were no blow-ins, meaning no new arrivals in Ireland. They'd been there since the 14th century, and their main job used to be to, 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 to look after um, St. Patrick's Bell, you know, so it was a, a, an interesting Well, you told me, what was that thing you said, some, I think the last time we spoke, someone who, or the blow-in thing, you said the only time you, you are considered a local is when you're six feet under and pushing, pushing up, up daisies. daisies. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that was anyway. So it was a grand way to end, end our tour of these gorgeous country houses. And I would really say, apart from seeing all the obvious attractions in, uh, in not only Northern Ireland, but Ireland, that to factor in some of these country houses and go and visit them, especially for South Africans who love, you know, mm. gardens, we've got Kirstenbosch Gardens and we've got many beautiful gardens around the country would really enjoy you know and, and also you get a feeling for the sort of grand uh, 18th and 19th century mm. history of, 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 of Ireland. But now you also spend some time in Dublin. 
I did. I had to sort of visit both capitals. Well, we can't. We, we haven't got time now because we've been talking too long about these houses, castles, whatever they're called. I'm, 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 I still don't know. But we need to talk about Dublin. Can you come back again? I'd love to, Karen. Thank you. Right. Well, you have a lot of Graham this month because he's come back because he keeps having more stuff to talk about. Well, I can tell you now that he visited Northern Ireland as a guest of Tourism Northern Ireland. And for more information, you can call Tourism Ireland in Johannesburg on 011-463-1132. And there are two websites, discovernorthernireland.com and nationaltrust.org.uk. And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And if you've missed any information, you can find it on Facebook. Go to Travel on SAFM or email me on travel at safm.co.za. And I'll be back with you next Monday evening with the Law Report. We'll be talking about franchising. So join me then. Well, time now for some nighttime music with Stephen Kirker. Hello, Stephen. <laughs>